0: The best-selling Compliance Handbook by Compliance Evangelist and Compliance Podcast Network founder Tom Fox has been updated, revised, and improved in its new second edition. This new podcast series will build upon the best nuts and bolts compliance handbook around to provide you the best information on implementing and enhancing a best practices compliance program.
1: Welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today
0: i am delighted to be here thank you for inviting me
1: i would say that uh, anyone in the compliance space listening to this uh, there's no need to introduce christy but i'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about your professional background leading up to spark consulting
0: sure so um, i'm originally a fcpa defense lawyer at gibson dunn um los angeles originally and then they sent me to london to do the libor investigation switzerland london Uh, I married a Brit, which was not in the plan. Uh, So I decided to go in-house and became the director of compliance for uh, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa at Carlson Wagley Travel, then the chief compliance officer at United International Pictures, uh, which is the joint venture of Paramount and Universal in 65 countries, Uh, and then started Spark Compliance about five years ago um, when my first book came out, which is How to Be a Wildly Effective Compliance Officer. And from there, we have expanded from London into Atlanta and Los Angeles as well.
1: So, Christy, we've both been in the FCPA slash anti-corruption slash compliance space for some time. I uh, started really around 2007, and here we are in 2021, and third parties are still perceived as the biggest problem. Is there some overarching reason that, that you have seen or, or you've articulated that We just can't seem to get a handle on this or is it something completely different well
0: i think i think the reason that third parties are still the biggest problem is because they're still the easiest way to pay a bribe right i think that there's two things i think that it's relatively an easy way um if you can get around the financial part of it whether it's through you know secondary companies or whether you have fake contracts with consultants all of that Um, and the other thing is i think that for the general business population there's still a perception that uh what a third party does on your behalf isn't your problem um and that's partially i think because some countries have laws that that is true and that there's a, just a sensibility that if i didn't do it then it doesn't matter
1: <laughs> well uh my daughter is not quite as young anymore but uh, when she was much younger i think that was probably her attitude as well
0: Yep, yeah, it wasn't me right <laughs> her whole song's written about it wasn't me
1: so even since you formed Spark Consulting, um, I think there's a wider recognition of third-party risk in areas other than anti bribery and anti-corruption, uh, human trafficking, uh, export control, anti-money laundering. Those com- are those the ty- some of the conversations you have with your clients about third-party risks in other areas as well now?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, For us, it really came into being with the UK Bribery Act um, because of the the necessity to essentially say what you're doing. Um, Obviously, California Supply Chain, Transparency and Supply Chain Act as well now in Australia. When you have to talk about what you're doing to manage that type of risk, then it makes it a natural flow into, okay, what are we doing with our third party risk in bribery? Um, And there is a lot of overlap in those two areas. Um, And I think with GDPR, we suddenly saw data privacy as being a big issue because of the Article 28 required terms for your third party processors. So now you're getting multiple levels of all of this due diligence, um, particularly coming out of Europe. And I think those expectations have seeped into the states, particularly with multinationals. Um, So I think that third party integrated risk is absolutely the way of the future and that we need to be planning on that.
1: Uh, Spark Consulting is, in a multinational organization, so that you have clients literally across the globe. How do you help a compliance practitioner think through, really, the basics of a third-party risk management process?
0: I am an absolute advocate for getting your scope right. Um, I think that the biggest problem is a lot of compliance people hear third party and they think everything. They want to immediately start adding their customers, their vendors, like everything. And I think you need to start where you can um, with what can we realistically do with either the software we have or no software. What can we do with our um, existing infrastructure in terms of compliance officers to review red flags and to get to the bottom of these things. So the first thing I do is talk about scope. Um, and then the second thing is really, you know, what's that universe? How high risk is it? Can we really, truly please take a risk-based approach, which so many people struggle with, like, genuinely struggle with trying to say this is enough and this is why.
1: And so that really leads into my next question, which is around supply chain. And uh, I worked at a company that had sustained an FCPA violation back in 2007. That was my... Introduction to FCPA compliance, and our violation had come in through the supply chain. So the monitor was extraordinarily concerned about supply chain, um, uh, third-party risk management, and that's uh, something that has evolved. and I think most compliance practitioners are cognizant of of it. But the one thing supply chain has that sales agents don't have is scale. You can have five thousand, you can have ten thousand, you can have fifty thousand. Uh, vendors in your supply chain. How do you help a compliance professional think through a risk management strategy or even a risk management framework for the supply chain?
0: Great question. Um, it's challenge, right? That's a really big challenge. Um, and I think that supply chain management has come in in such a huge way during the COVID pandemic because it has disrupted so many companies. Um, I think the first thing you need to do is think about what risks are we actually looking at, right? And are we partnering with, say, procurement or supply chain in a way that would bring in other risks than are traditionally compliance related? So that's the first thing is find out what they're doing already Um, and then think about exactly what risks you're reviewing. So if you're looking just at bribery risk, then look at your suppliers and think, okay, where can I see them actually? committing a bribe because one of the things that I see people doing is they they feel like they should include all the categories and if you're just doing bribery say um, related due diligence then then the answer is okay tell me a story where they actually can commit a bribe and what happens is people say I can't come up with a scenario where that would happen great they're out of scope. Right? The scoping thing is, is my, my bugbear. Um, and if it's modern slavery, where are, where are the products coming from? Can we look at the US report on, um, on the problems with people? Because they have rankings for these things, right? So um, I think that that's what you do is that you actually um, focus on where there is high risk based on the quantitative things that we know, like the CPI score, like um, the trafficking in persons report. That's where you try to start so that you're looking at the right risk with the right tools.
1: You recently wrote about a concept that I have heard talked about for years. No one's ever been able to implement it, but I'm hoping you can help lead that discussion. And that's one due diligence. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Uh, The holy grail, right? As I I think I wrote about it this week. we have to try to get there we just have to um i know tom you're on the uh supplier side sometimes too and you end up with six or seven different requests for information one's coming from i.t and from privacy and others coming from the basic supplier portal and others coming from compliance and you end up with this untenable proposition of so many parts of the business not working together to have that third-party onboarding that just makes sense um We have been doing this with our clients and it's incredibly hard. Um, Trying to get everyone to understand the problem is thing number one um because they live in their own silo right like they don't want to necessarily work together um so i think helping them all the different stakeholders understand the problem is thing number one and thing number two is good technology i mean if you're trying to do this with excel sheets and you know sharepoint sites good luck like you can't so i think that as technology has evolved it's really helped getting those um apis where the one program can talk to the other program is enormously helpful and and we've been looking at different technological solutions for our clients. And I think that there is real growth in this space with good, you know, GRC software good due diligence software that we're going to see it be easier as we go forward.
1: So in Houston, in the energy industry, we've tried to develop systems that uh, could be available for energy companies. Do you see that possibility in other uh, industries?
0: I do. Um, And I think that the best um, versions of these are going to be industry agnostic in terms of managing that risk, because ultimately it's let's do some screening. We need an audit trail. Ideally, we have a single source of truth for all those things. So while I do think some like financial services will not be uh, the same as corporate compliance, but in the corporate compliance space, I think that we can come up with solutions that are really um, cross industry and not have that be as specific.
1: So one of the areas that i think compliance professionals don't focus on as much as i think they should is after the contract is signed Mm. i advocate that that is really when the work begins uh it's not due diligence it's not the questionnaire it's how do you manage the relationship how do you help a compliance professional think through managing a relationship after the contract is signed
0: i think that the question is how do you ask the business to monitor it even more than the compliance people um, I think that you're absolutely right. I've even seen some of my software contracts that um, companies have for sanction screening that don't have ongoing monitoring. And that baffles my mind. I mean, ah, you know, one moment in time, you didn't have a sanction party. Those sanctions change every day somewhere in the world. So I think that the continuous monitoring, number one, your technology can absolutely help with that again. Um, so that's the first thing you do, but the second one is you know those renewal those renewal timelines are important right the 123 year for the basic. Um, risk levels that you've assigned to your third parties, but ultimately to me the business has the responsibility for that relationship and particularly when you have high risk third parties i've seen a couple of very forward looking clients. Uh, require their um, business person to maybe check in every six months with that third party and to report that back to compliance. I mean, that's obviously not possible if you have 10,000 third parties. But if you have 50 that are on the very high ranking list, maybe you can check in with them. So it's a bit of an education. And I think that your anti-bribery training, your annual refresher, your code of conduct can be very effective to remind the business that this is ultimately their responsibility.
1: You ever help clients with a, a uh, either a audit of third parties or some type of assessment of the relationship after the contract is signed
0: we have instituted audit programs more than doing it ourselves so uh monitoring and metrics is obviously a very important part of um any compliance program and we do um third party management deep dives what we call them we do um reviews of entire third-party programs to look at how from beginning to end that is done and we have like best practices around that kind of monitoring i think that um internal audit is radically underused in this space Um, for instance several of our forward-thinking clients have internal audit look during its audits at third parties that should be in scope and make sure that they're all put through the system I think that the ongoing monitoring piece can also be audited. Um, I think that obviously training records of third parties were required. I, I do think that there's some really good work that can be done around monitoring and that we need to be focusing on it.
1: So many risks, in my opinion, changed uh, at the outset of the coronavirus health crisis. But I wondered, uh, did you think, or has it been your experience that third party risk management has changed around uh after we all got put in lockdown? Or is it uh, the risk of the same? It's just the management of that risk is different.
0: I think it's more the latter. Um, I think that we need to be aware that, particularly with supply chain risk, when there's a panic to get things fixed, that people take cut corners. And I think that um, not being aware of that or pretending that that's not true is really problematic. So for me, in terms of the COVID pandemic, I think that risk management is in some ways similar. One of the big challenges, of course, is that audit piece, right? Um, If you do have a regular auditing program for your highest risk third parties, trying to do that virtually, particularly with like modern slavery, incredibly difficult to do that. So for me, the biggest challenges have been people trying to cut corners to get things done faster and also that the audit process for your higher risk third parties, it really isn't ever going to be as effective as it could be with on the ground review.
1: Um, Moving into 2025 and beyond, where do you see the management of third-party risk going? You've talked about the one due diligence process as at least one of the holy grails. Are there other approaches that you've either seen that you're working on yourself at Spark Consulting that help uh, either make this process more efficient or, or more effective or both?
0: I think that for most of our clients where we're doing integrated third party management or due diligence, procurement tends to be the the center of the universe um, that they collect the information from the various subject matter experts when those risks are triggered by the third party. So the 2025 version, I see spectacular technology that talks to each other, like that your third party, maybe your bribery and adverse media and sanctions review talks to the InfoSec review, talks to the, if you're in like pharma, you know, in the pharma industry, we have a lot of pharma clients, like pharmacovigilance and quality reviews. Um, I think that those things all come together um, and some department has to be in charge of it. Now, for most of our clients, Compliance is where it started because compliance has had the bribery due diligence review. So third-party risk starts there typically in its review. But ultimately, if you're going to look at all of those things, compliance departments tend to be too small and too, frankly, like over-leveraged anyway, um, that somebody else has to control that. And procurement's been the natural place for that to land in, in most of these integrated programs we've worked at.
1: That really speaks to another concept I wanted to visit with you about which is a cross collaboration by compliance and other uh, functional departments within a corporation and uh, Could you envision a situation where on the tactical level procurement is sort of the on the front line and then uh, compliance, not so much a second line, but really an oversight and advisory role in that situation.
0: Absolutely, um, I think. One of the really interesting things about the new risk areas of law, particularly with like privacy overlapping with information security, or with you know the the different modern slavery issues where you really need to bring together procurement, maybe you've got sustainability, maybe you've got all these different areas where you really need to collaborate. I think that that is con- going to continue to be the way of the future, and that third-party management has to have that too. Um, and that can get tricky, right? I mean, if you have like information security saying, absolutely not, absolutely not, absolutely not, you know, and the other parts of the business are saying yes, 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 and the rest of the due diligence process went well, you, know, you can have a lot of pressure or compliance is saying no, and everybody else is saying yes, um, that can be tricky. Um, but I think that ultimately it's really beneficial because there's a learning curve that goes on there too, in terms of that collaboration allows other departments to understand why their third-party due diligence is important. And ultimately that creates a more holistic business.
1: Christy, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if listeners wanted any more information on the topics we've discussed, Spark Consulting, or perhaps even yourself, uh, where could they go?
0: So the consulting website is uh, www.sparkcompliance. And uh, if you wanna reach me, you can go to compliancechristy, K-R-I-S-T-Y.com, Or you can email me at kgranthart at sparkcompliance.com.
1: And I will just say that uh, you should check out the website because it's a fabulous resource for everyone in the compliance uh, profession and for every compliance practitioner. Christy, this has been just a ton of fun for me. Every time I talk to you, I'll learn something. And I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. This is Tom Fox. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Compliance Handbook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and tune in next week. Until then, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again, and I look forward to visiting with you again.